0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I'll try to get untangled here. I could just leave this mask hanging there. It's a nice little feature, don't you think? Okay. Help. Okay, there we go. Um, So I think all of us know uh, who US President uh, Jimmy Carter is. I think he's uh, perhaps the oldest living president ever. And he wrote a book called, Why Not the Best? Why Not the Best? And in that book, he recounts his time in the U.S. Naval Academy and how he was brought um, before Admiral Admiral Hyman G. Rickover, who was actually known for his toughness. Uh, He was not easy on people. He wanted to bring out the best in his men, and women and Jimmy Carter came uh, for his interview near the end of his time when he was about to graduate. He says, The admiral, the admiral, the admiral asked how he had stood in his class. Asked Jimmy Carter, how did you stand in your class? Jimmy Carter said, Well, I swelled my chest with pride and answered, Sir, I stood 59th in a class of 820. I sat back to wait for the congratulations. Instead came the question, did you do your best? I started to say, yes, sir, but I remembered who this was. I gulped and admitted, no, sir, I didn't always do my best. And then the admiral looked at me for a long time and asked one final question which I have never been able to forget or to answer. And he said, why not? Today I'm going to talk about our fifth core value in our church, the pursuit of excellence. The statement that we've placed with that is we give our best. Ah, at First Church of the Nazarene, And you'll notice it's the pursuit of excellence. It doesn't mean that everything is excellent, but this is our pursuit. And this core value, out of all seven of the core values, is the one that has been debated the most deeply by everybody. And it's because people are concerned, and I think rightfully so, they're concerned about, well, is this about perfection, some pathological sense of, you know, perfection. And if I'm not perfect, therefore I failed and I'm a failure and all that. Um, no, that's not what this is about. Am I always excellent? No. All the people said, "No, you, oh, you don't want to hurt my feelings. Okay. Are the outcomes of my efforts as a pastor or as a husband or as a father always excellent? No. Am I content with that? No, I always want to be better and to give more. And so there are times that for me, when I fall short of my own expectations, and I know that I often fall short of God's expectations, and that's not a guilt thing. It's just something that inspires me. And that is when grace is called for. Grace from others and grace towards myself, especially if I know I gave my best effort and things just didn't work out. So even when I have failed to give my best, it makes me want to do better the next time. So what if we thought, okay, just think about the pursuit of excellence. What if we thought of it not in terms of the quality of the outcome or the result, because sometimes you 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 really try your hardest and it just didn't work out. But what if we thought of it not in terms of the quality of outcome, but the quality of the effort that you put into it? So I've got this little homemade card. It's a sheet of paper, just a little piece of paper, and it was drawn by a child. Her name is Alini Sa. Her parents are Jeff and Haissa. They have been attending here for quite some time. They moved to Canada from Brazil. Um, and uh, Alini, I don't know how old she was when she did this, maybe six or seven years old, possibly, maybe younger. And she, there was no special occasion as far as I can remember. But you can see in here, kind of like a tree. It looks kind of like a palm tree. And then there's a, like a little girl image, like a stick figure. And it says alini that's her name. And then there's a taller stick figure that says, Pastor Brian. And then there's the sun, a little bit of the sun off off in the corner, and lots of blue in the background. And Pastor Brian is spelled P A S T R, and Brian is B R I E N. I spell it with a Y and an A N. Um, And then on the back, she's got from Alini to Pastor Brian with a smiley face. You know what? That's excellent. To me, that was excellent what she did. I actually have this on my mirror in my bedroom. Um, And it kind of makes me feel special when I do it. Because, you know, even though there was misspelling and she didn't draw it like, you know, like a great uh, world-renowned artist, you know what, it came from a child who I felt just had an affection for her pastor and just wanted to encourage me. And to me, the excellence was the excellence of her intent. And so I was absolutely delighted. And so that's what the pursuit of excellence is all about. It's just giving our best, the best that we have from the heart. So I want us to take a look at this passage of Scripture that Dixie read for us. And this is what it says in the first two verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. And, you know, it was probably at the home of of, of a man called Simon the leper. Uh, This story is found in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark as well. But Simon the leper. And yet Martha ended up being the hostess. Does that sound a little bit familiar? (laughs) Luke chapter 10, at the very end, it talks about how Martha you know, was serving, and she was kind of frantic in that particular incident. But here, after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, they're meeting to kind of celebrate. They're having a celebratory dinner. You know, our brother was dead, and Jesus came and did a miracle, and he's alive again. We, and so they get all these people together to celebrate. And Mary, uh, Martha is serving, and Lazarus is at the table fellowshipping with all the guys. Okay. Well, then it says in verses, verse 3, Mary, Martha's sister, did something kind of, kind of shocking. And it probably was an awkward moment. Everybody's sitting around, Mar- Martha serving, and everybody's sitting around visiting, and all is well, and then Mary comes, and she falls down at Jesus' feet, and she has this flask of perfume. And she... Draws the she takes the the lid off the cap off, and she bows down as in worship, and she begins to pour the entire flask of perfume on Jesus' feet. And everybody's like, you could imagine they probably just stopped the conversation. Um, and I think there's a picture an image of this coming here. This. Uh, and attempt to depict what she did. It was a common practice in that day to wash the feet of the dinner guests. And generally, that was the role of a lowly slave. It was also common practice to use water and then to have a towel to wipe the feet with. It tells us that Mary poured the perfume, and she wiped his feet with her hair. It says that Martha was serving, but Mary bowed at the feet of Jesus in an act of worship. Then it says in verse 4, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, anybody know about him? Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And so he protests what Mary is doing. And what a contrast between Judas's heart and Mary's heart. Especially when we know from the Gospels that Judas had already decided to betray Jesus. And now he's acting all haughty and self-righteous. How is it possible for Judas to have walked with Jesus for over three years with the other disciples and yet not truly love him? To follow him outwardly but inwardly to be so far? Judas knew Jesus as a rabbi and a teacher, but he didn't really know him as Lord and Savior and Messiah. His love, if it was there at all, did not sink down into his heart. Judas was an observer. Mary was a worshiper. How about you? How about me? How often do we come to church or go to a Bible study or walk about in the world? And we make observations. Hmm. That person doesn't look very spiritual. What they're doing. Then we stand in judgment. We should judge ourselves. Not the other. We should come before Jesus with a heart of worship. John chapter 4. These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Those who worship in spirit and in truth. And that's a description of Mary. She loved Jesus from the heart. You know that passage in Luke 10 that I talked about where it says Mary was complaining? I mean, Martha was complaining because her sister Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach, you know, and said, Jesus said, Mary chose what was better to be a worshiper. You know, all of the serving that we do should come from a heart of worship. Service is good. It's good to be busy and active, but it should come from a heart of worship, from deep love for Jesus, as she loved him. Mary knew who Jesus was. She worshiped him. She knew, she seemed to know, um, she was one of the few maybe that understood that he was about to be sacrificed, that he was about to go to the cross. And so she understood his extravagant sacrifice that he was about to make. And so she was willing because of her love for him, to extravagantly sacrifice this very priceless perfume that you would just use a little dab, and she poured the whole thing. Mother Teresa once said this. It's not what you do that matters. It's the love you pour into it. And then in verse 6, it says... Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor. You know, he's saying, she wasted this perfume on Jesus. Sure, an observer would do that. A self righteous person would say that. She wasted it. They could have been given, sold and given to the poor. But it says in verse 6 he didn't care about the poor. Actually, he stole money from the money bag. He was the treasurer and he, he pilfered it. And that was his hypocrisy in that moment. And <laughs> I find it interesting that it's only in John's gospel where he kind of tattles on Judas. He said, you know, Judas didn't really care about the poor. You know, it's just because he was stealing money himself and he was just trying to cover himself with a self-righteous veneer. Um, the truth is, Judas's mock outrage was nothing more than cover for his own hypocrisy and his own self interest. And I would say this beware, and I mean this beware of people who constantly criticize the motives and actions of others. They're always criticizing and often don't have much good to say. Be, 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 be aware of those people and pray for them that they would repent. Because more often than not, their self-righteous display is nothing more than a mask they wear to disguise their own faults and sins. They're hiding behind that. So in verse 7, Jesus says, Leave her alone, Judas. And actually it tells us that all the other disciples piled on when Judas said that. They were all, yeah, right, you know, what a waste. He says, Leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. It's kind of like she, as if she knew that he was going to die. And so before he died, in advance, she was preparing him for burial. And then he says, You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Well, Jesus cared about the poor, he did. You know, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus cared about the poor, but he was saying, there's something more important than compassion. And that's worship. Compassion, mercy flows out of a heart of worship for the Christian. So what do Mary's actions in this story have to do with the pursuit of excellence in our church? Well, Mary's actions take us to the very heart of the core value, the pursuit of excellence, because Mary gave her best. And she did it from a heart of worship, out of love and adoration for Jesus. You see, God is interested in our service. He is interested in our actions, in our deeds. He is. But he's more interested in our motives. He's more interested in the attitude behind it than he is in the outward appearance. There's a passage in Colossians chapter 3 that I want us to look at. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And, you know, back in the ancient world, they had slaves. It was part of the, the economy And Paul, you know, has some instructions for masters and he also had instructions for slaves. And there were many Christian slaves and there were many masters who were Christians. But now here in this passage, he's speaking to the slaves who are Christians. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you. So not... You know, oh, the boss isn't looking, so I can slack off. No, no, he's not. He said, and don't do it just to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. Notice, sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That's how you should work as a slave for your master. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you're working for the Lord. You know, the translation of that is, when you go to work on Monday... Whatever your job is, you're, you're not working for your boss, your employer, the company. You're working for the Lord. Really. And even in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, even if you have a mean master or a mean employer, boss, you still give your best. You still give your best. Because at the end of the day, you're working for his honor and for his praise. He says here in verse 23, Colossians 3, he says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Mary understood that. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, this one won't come up on the screen. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do. You say, well, eating and drinking, that's kind of mundane, right? That's the normal stuff of life. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God well how in the world can I eat and drink for the glory of God eating and drinking is just eating and drinking yeah it doesn't matter what you do if you're sweeping the floors vacuuming the rugs if you're gardening if you're taking out the garbage everything is done with this idea that you're doing it all for the glory of God and we just have to figure out what that means It's the motive. It's the attitude behind the action that matters. So it doesn't matter how menial the task is. If you do it with all the care and attention that love demands, if you do it for Christ, you will receive your reward. God is worthy of our best. So the pursuit of excellence should transform everything we do. There is no distinction between the secular and the sacred. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, all of life is sacred under God. We don't compartmentalize. doesn't matter. The the most simple, menial thing I do is sacred if it is done with the heart of worship. That's why it says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Everything you got. When we watch Olympic athletes, we're awed not only at their athletic achievements, and they're pretty amazing. but we're awed at the devotion, the sacrifice and all the preparation and effort that went into it. And so the Apostle Paul uses the athletic games, like the Olympiads, the Olympiads as a metaphor. So this will come up on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? You go, yeah. I mean, now we get three prizes, gold, silver, and bronze. But he said, only one gets the big prize. Run, he's saying as Christians, you, now Christian, run this race of life in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Yeah, we're in strict training, Right? They do it to get a crown that will not last, or a medal. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of life. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then he says in verse 26, this is the punchline coming up. He says, therefore, I do not run. And he's talking about, he's using a metaphor, the the race of life. Like a man running aimlessly, you know, all over the place, and I don't know where I'm going. He's saying, but he said, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No. He said, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The Apostle Paul, we know, loved the Lord, but he also had his eye on the prize. And we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. But a part of that inheritance is when we see Jesus as he is and we become like him. Can you imagine what it will be like when the Lord returns and we're all face to face? The Bible says when we see him face to face, we will reflect his glory. We will will be fully transformed in that moment. And I think, honestly, I think that'll be our prize. That'd be when we're gonna go, why? Jesus, it was all for you. It was all for you. And I think in that moment, we're not, you know, what we're gonna do is we'll just fall down before him and worship. And I would imagine that he would put his hand on us and say, Rise. It's okay. Um, he ran to get the prize, and so he says, I make my body my slave. Discipline. And serving out of love and a place of worship. And so, that same kind of intense devotion and effort that an athlete has, that means a Christian is also animated by an even more intense love and devotion. Not for ourselves and our own self-aggrandizement, but for the glory of God. In every part of our lives, this is what the pursuit of excellence is. We give our best. We always strive to give our best. In, our, in virtue, in virtue, in service, in love, love for God, love for others, in worship, and in our relationships. We give our best. I don't think it is possible to say that we love the Lord our God, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, without seeking to give the very best that we have. So, the pursuit of excellence in the church is not about showing off. It's not about flaunting our talent or our intelligence. It's not about strutting our stuff. It's not what it's about. It's about giving our best, whether it's music whether it's a Bible study, a small group, preaching, serving behind the scenes, cleaning, painting, landscaping. I'm going give, to give the best I have. I love the movie Coach Carter. How many of you have seen that? Coach Carter? Um, as Samuel L. Jackson plays the part of Coach Carter, based on a true story. And it's kind of interesting, when he comes to coach this losing team, you know, I mean, they're losing. They're, they're losing all their games. And they got attitude problems, you know. And, yeah, there's the image there. And uh, he comes in, and he transforms this team. But you know what's interesting? He's tough on them. He's tough on them. And the reason, and one of the things he said is that you cannot be on this team unless you get a certain grade point average. And if you fall below that, below that grade point average, you'll be off the team. It doesn't matter how good a player you are. And you know why he did that? Because he cared about their future. I want these kids, I don't want their greatest moments in life to be high school and then the rest of it is downhill. I want them to be able to go to college or university. He cared deeply enough to be tough on them. I don't think that we love people by being soft with them. We love people when we help them to be their best and to give their best. But we need to do it out of love for them and from a place of worship towards our God. And so here's three reasons to give our best. Because one day we'll win the prize, as Paul said in that passage in 1 Corinthians 9. That's why we run the race with perseverance. That's why we beat our body and make it our slave, because we're going for the prize. That's why Paul said, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Because he was looking at the prize, and I believe that the prize is, The greatest part of that prize is when we see Jesus and become like him. And we're going to say, well, it it was worth it all. But we give our best for the glory of God. That's the second reason. So that our Father in heaven will be praised and glorified. Because we know that we were created for the praise of his glory, it says in Ephesians. And the third reason is we give our best as an act of worship, just like Mary. Just like Mary. So who are you serving in the church, in the community, in your family? Who, who are you really serving at work? Who are you serving? Are you serving people? Are you serving your employer? Are you serving the church? Or are you serving Christ? Because if you're serving Christ, and that's what animates you, it'll make all the difference. In not only how you do what you do, but why you do it. Why did Mary waste that perfume on Jesus? Because she loved him. And she was a worshiper. We have to be willing to waste our lives on Jesus. Jesus. to give not only what we have, but to give all that we are. To offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Because giving our tithes, thank you Dr. Falk for that wonderful encouragement today. Giving our offerings, our money, giving our service and all the things that we do and how we exercise our spiritual gifts and our talents For God, that's all great, but we must give ourselves first. Imagine if everything we do, from the most mundane tasks to the most glorious, that we give our best. Imagine if every task and every ministry, every relationship, every act of service is done not for ourselves or for other people, but it's done for Christ. Christ. Imagine if everything we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever, we do it for the glory of God. There's a motive that animates us to something deeper. Imagine if everything we do comes from a heart of love and adoration for Jesus, from a heart of worship. Wouldn't that make a difference? It would make a difference in our attitude. We wouldn't be worried about who's doing and who's not doing so much because we know it's not about us, it's about Him. So what story, by the way, It says in the other Gospels, from here on, what this woman has done will be told. Every time the Gospel is preached, this story will be told about her. What story are people going to tell about you? Are you giving your best? Do I give my best? Ask yourself that right now. Do I give my best? And if not... Why not? I love this passage. It's another one I've memorized where the Apostle Paul, I'm going to invite the worship team to please come. They're going to sing and lead us in worship as we sing uh, the great hymn when I survey the wondrous cross. The Apostle Paul said to the Christians in the city of Corinth, he had made great sacrifices for the church. He really did. I mean, he laid down his life, and he said to them, I will spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. In this hymn, there is a verse that says love from God. Jesus, when he went to the cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. God bless you. So now, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God bless you all.